Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we are going to be talking about sustainability. We're going to be talking about uh, well, a number of fantastic things with Francis Edmonds, who is the head of sustainable impact at HP Canada. Francis, thanks so much for being here. You're very welcome. Excited. Well, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So today I'm head of sustainable impact for HP Canada, and I spend most of my time working on changing how Canadians buy. We have really realized that in order to be a successful, sustainable company, we need to have an ecosystem that recognizes that and that all players in the value chain are actually engaged around sustainability and uh, in decreasing our footprint and impacts across the entire value chain. And I know HP Canada has received quite a lot of accolades because of the uh, the achievements that you've had. And uh, you're, you're the only tech company with two clean 16 awards for sustainability and leadership and three clean 50 top project awards. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, so clearly, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah. And, you know, the, award, the external awards are nice. Um, and they help a little bit with one of the age-old problems in sustainability, which is proving to a skeptical, a rightly skeptical customer, uh, just how good are you or how well are you doing in this space? And we know that transparency is a critical thing in sustainability. And frankly, it's not a knee-jerk reaction for most businesses to be transparent. So we've got this natural tension within most organizations. So the role of those external awards and recognition, particularly if they're quite critical and well-managed award systems, like the Global 100 uh, Most Sustainable Corporations, for instance, they're a very key piece in helping us advance and pull the marketplace into doing more. Mm. And, and, and you are, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you've become the most sustainable tech company in Canada. Yes. So when you're, sustainability is very broad, so it's hard yeah. to come up with one or two things that resonate and make it easy for people to understand the depth and breadth of the work that you're undertaking. So we pushed hard to be able to make some kind of a claim. And the lawyers, obviously, we're a US-based company, so we have lots of lawyers. Um, and it's a comparative claim. So you have to be able to show, A, what your competition are doing, and then B, how you are doing more or better than, than they are. So um, if the listeners are interested, they can go to www.hp.ca slash sustainable impact, and they can see all the proof points there. Um, to prevent greenwashing, it's really important that whenever you make a claim like that, that you always have stats to back it up. Well, it's an interesting term, the greenwashing. I mean, that's something that's pretty prevalent in a lot of businesses. Uh, uh, you know, we don't want to name names or shame shame, shame people, but it is, it, it is happening. So it's important that you keep stats, like you say. Um, now, how did, how did you guys get there? How did you become, uh, you know, the most sustainable tech company in Canada? Well, I, I have to say that I stand on the back of giants, um, the global corporation, for 80 years, based on the founding fathers who said the real reason HP exists is to make a difference. So for 80 years, we've been hiring people who want to make a difference. It's quite a, a cliche today to be a purpose-driven company, but we've been one for 80 years. So when you hire people who want to make a difference, they start making a difference. And so, I, you know, simple things like our take back and recycling program, 30 years old. 
right? Wow. A design for the environment program. Uh, we've had a formal design for the environment program since 1992. So when you have that legacy of thinking about these things and putting money and effort and work behind it, uh, you build up that legacy and Really, it's been one of our best kept secrets, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, when we split the company in half about five years ago, the new board, which happens to be the most diverse board in the tech industry in the US, which I think actually really helps us. Uh, you, I, I saw immediately uh, a difference. They said, we don't want this to be our best kept secret anymore. So yeah. they have encouraged us. And in, you know, I know one of the things we wanted to talk about today was, is sustainability good business? And we have started tracking how much business we're, we're getting as a result of our sustainability leadership. And last year it was over a billion dollars in business. And we publicly disclosed that number for a number of reasons. One, because it makes everybody inside of HP sit up and, and, and listen and recognize how important this is. But it also shows to our customers and to the wider world that we're serious about this, that our customers are already asking us about it. And now it's an opportunity to really capitalize on the decades of hard work and heavy lifting to get us to be um, in Canada, the most sustainable technology company. And globally, we just set a whole bunch of new goals, one of which is to be the most sustainable and just technology company by 2030. Wow. So, so pretty, pretty hairy, audacious goals there. I was just going to say pretty big goals, but like you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The fact that you were doing this before it was popular, you know, before it was something that people were asking about. Um, very, I'd like to, I'd like to hone in on a little bit of something you said first, when I asked you, how did you become, uh, you know, this, this uh, sustainable tech company, the most sustainable tech company in Canada, your first get go to was people and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and hiring the right people. And I think, is, do you think that's something that perhaps sometimes gets overlooked in general uh, terms? Yeah, and I'll give you an example of one of the, the practices that I've put in, in uh, at HP Canada is I train every single new hire from janitor to CEO who comes into my organization. And it's a, it's a big personal thing, particularly in the tech industry, where we tend to do a lot of webcasts, just go watch this by yourself, um, particularly for onboarding. Um, and I made a, a personal commitment. I was going to train every new hire because it's so important that as they walk in the door, they understand I give them their volunteer t-shirt. I align them with people, planet, community, uh, all the work that we do in the different areas and explain to them, it's your job to be part of this. These goals are not something that Francis is gonna make happen. These are things that we all make happen and we all have a collective ownership over it. So I think um, historically the importance of individuals has been very, very critical. I think as we move forward where all of our stakeholders are demanding better performance and sustainability. It will be less critical around individuals and it will be more around organizational design, but certainly historically, it's been about the individual who's prepared to push, not take no for an answer and just keep going. So let's go to business value. I mean, we were talking briefly before the camera started rolling about the challenges supply chain leaders have, uh, particularly with COVID now and disruption and, and uh, all of the uncertainty in the marketplace to, to take sustainability seriously and show or demonstrate business value. Um, I'm eager to find out a little bit more about the big number you just gave me, the, 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 the revenue, the value that you guys have been able to demonstrate, the billion dollars. Um, how did that happen? How did you achieve that? And, and more importantly, why don't others uh, why don't others 
link this up? I, I don't get that. I think it's an evolution of maturity in the practice of sustainability. Um, many organizations start within their own four square walls um, because that's where it's easiest. You have most control. But we're talking to supply chain professionals here. And, uh, you know, that's where the meat of the issues for sustainability are, actually. We spent 100 years of outsourcing and offshoring. And uh, guess what? That's where all the problems went. So when we look at HP's full carbon footprint, 50% of our impact is in our supply chain. Mm -hmm. So we need to start getting much more. And, and I don't know if you saw Larry Fink's uh, from BlackRock. Uh, he Every year he issues a letter to CEOs. And he's been becoming increasingly bullish on sustainability. And this one that he issued in January, I'd encourage you all to go have a look at it. He pointed out that what's going on in the supply chain and transparency in the supply chain is now a, crit a critical key issue for investors. And these are serious big investors, not small, you know, chunk change people. So if we think about where the supply chain is going, and you said COVID had um, opened up some, some cracks and some, some instabilities and lack of resilience. If we think about tackling those moving forward, we have a wonderful opportunity to overlay every decision we make moving forward with a carbon as a proxy or a sustainability as a bigger proxy uh, lens. And so we've, we've got what I would say a once in a generation lifetime to make the changes that are necessary and do it with the right lenses, the right pair of glasses on. It's mm -hmm. not just about straight um, cost. And if you can manage a supply chain for cost and quality, you can manage it for sustainability. It's really not that different. It's a management system. Well, let's go back to something you said as well. You know, all the stakeholders are demanding this, you know, mm -hmm. so how important is the voice of the customer here in, in driving your sustainability agenda? Um, so before I get to customer, let's talk about employees first, because we, were, we, okay. we had a, a brief conversation about uh, people. Yeah. If you want to attract and retain the best people today, you're going to have to do this. It's not an, a nice to do or an addition or on the side of the desk. This is something that the new hires coming into your, your company are expecting. And they're expecting to be able to contribute to this, not only just have you know, a, a small department over there doing something on this. This is They are expecting to be seeing what you're doing, how it impacts them, how they can contribute to it. So we also know the HR people have done a great job of proving that an engaged employee is a more profitable employee. Mm -hmm. This is the cheapest way to engage employees. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me. I, I came out of a background of uh, health and safety. And, you know, getting people to wear a hard hat or cover a hole up in the floor to stop them falling through is actually quite hard work. Mm. It, it, it takes a lot of pushing to get that, that, that system and culture in place. You give people sustainability tasks and they run with them to the end of the, they'll stay up till midnight writing reports for you. It's fascinating to me, the difference in um Desire, the desire, the eagerness, the the willingness to put to lean in to do what's what's considered right today. Right. So so you can't overlook that piece of being able to attract and retain, mobilize employees to do the right thing. But they do need some help on understanding what the right thing is. Most people still don't have any sustainability education. We still have graduates, fresh graduates showing up at our door who don't know what a carbon footprint is. Now, seriously, our higher education systems are failing mm. badly. Uh, one of the boards I sit on is uh, an organization called Learning for a Sustainable Future. 
which works in the K to 12 space, just trying to reorient teaching and learning around the interconnectedness of the issues we're facing. So, um, so there's lots of work to be done in this space for sure. And so it starts with the employees. Well, actually, I'll take it even further back because going back to what you said, it starts with the corporate culture and uh, the leadership, right? The leadership determining that this is an important topic and something that they definitely want to pursue. So it starts with that, then it then it continues to bringing in employees and engaging with employees and giving them, uh, showing them the way to contribute to their, uh, you know, to, to this to problem solving here in this area. And then it goes to the customer, which at the end of the day, everyone's concerned about as well, because that leads to business value. So I think if, if I'm sort of interpreting everything you're saying, it's all of the stakeholders that are driving exactly. this agenda. Yes. And... Uh, you know, at, at any given time, one may seem more important, but uh, you can't take your eye off the ball for all of them. But the net net is that the pressure is on. And, yeah. you know, no executive can really fail to see the importance of this. And, you know, when we're talking supply chain, the issue of the circular economy is becoming so much more prevalent as we see fluctuations in commodity pricing, as we understand that, we don't have an infinite planet to be digging 100 billion tons of stuff out of the ground for that this whole circularity and reverse supply chains is is just becoming much more critical so hp just set a goal to be 75% circular in product and packaging by 2030 mm -hmm. today we have a base of about 40% so think about that in in 9 years we have to really change our entire business circularity requires us to design differently to go to market differently to service customers differently to manage end of first life end of second life and take back and recycling very differently than we do today and thinking about the entire value chain well you just you just said previously that uh, uh, 50 percent of the carbon emissions come from your supply chain or uh, right. so the role of the supply chain leader in this fight is a very important one. Oh, it's um, absolutely critical. And you know what I'm seeing, and particularly in Canada, is there's a real appetite from them to understand what this is all about, to learn about the circular economy because it's not an intuitive thing necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think, if you, if you make the comment that it's really what our grandparents did, they didn't throw anything away. Um, it, it makes it more real. And and usually, I do a lot of teaching on and guest lecturing on this. Um, what I do is I, I really explain HP's strategy around it and uh, designing products to be upgradable and repairable, designing products so they can be offered as services, mm. then product life extension through second and third life, and only then take back and recycling. And of course, our 3D print business enables all of this because now we can have an infinite inventory of spare parts. Mm -hmm. uh, BMW have our 3D printers sitting right on their production line, making parts just as they're needed. So, you know, be between the Internet of Things, 3D print and the opportunities here, they're, they're actually calling that the fourth industrial revolution. There's this yeah. change afoot. It is, it is pretty exciting. Well, and if the biggest culprit in, an, in a business is the supply chain, you know, or one of the biggest culprits for carbon emissions is the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. or Mrs. Supply Chain Leader, this is going to come knocking. They're going to come knocking on your door to, to implement change. So mm -hmm. really, isn't it better for the supply chain leaders to um to start dealing with this before they get called upon uh, to change? 
Yeah, every part of the business. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the issue of transparency. Your investors are starting to, I don't know if you've been watching what's going on in the news yeah. with the oil companies. Yes. You know, um, they call them radical shareholders uh, mm-hmm. uh, going against uh, management advice at shareholder meetings. It's, it's coming thick and fast. Mm-hmm. So this whole need to disclose and then set targets that are science-based or aligned to what our carbon budget is left before we blow the, the planetary carbon budget for uh, catastrophic climate change. Um, you know, it's almost, you're, you're almost behind the ball if you haven't actually started work on this. And, and so the, the, the metrics, the disclosure, and then the targets for reduction are, you know, all things that you need to be working on today. I bet you, but, but, but I've got to say, you know, transparency has got to be scary for some people. Oh, it is very scary. And there are different ways to do it. So if you think about CDP, um, you know, started with, with climate, moved to water and forest, and are now looking at supply chain in, in particular. So that is a, a quote unquote, somewhat safer way to disclose mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and to start thinking about metrics. You know, it, it is hard. Um, many supply chains are very lengthy and, and complex. But there's also a lot of help out there. The, the number of new companies popping up to help you with your metrics around carbon or traceability or, or just measuring the risks. Ecovadis might be a good one, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of help out there if you decide you seriously want to, to get started on this. And so with with regard, can we talk a little bit about one of the programs that you've got? Uh, your planet, you mentioned it briefly before, the Planet Partner Program. What's that about? So that's a 30 year old program. Um, really, the idea is, and, and many governments are actually requiring this legislation, but you know, you made it, you take it back and you manage, you manage it at the end of its life. And the theory is there that if, if you have to manage the costs of managing it properly at end of life, you will design it better and, more, and, and differently. Um, and, and this is an, an interesting you know, supply chain conversation, when you think about what we've done with the the approach we've taken to lowest price for the last 100 years plus, what we have done is we have incented manufacturers to make very lengthy and and, uh, I would say not very nimble or or, uh, resilient supply chains to get to the lowest price. We've, We've really incented that. But what we've done is we've forgotten to think about using the dollar to to measure total value. Mm-hmm. So when you push for lowest price, what do you do? You ask, and I'll take the example of a, a notebook laptop. Um, so the cheapest way to make a laptop is to glue the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to pay somebody to take screws. You don't have to buy the screws. You don't have to pay somebody to put them in. But what happens when you've got a laptop that has a component that fails in it that are all glued together? It's mm-hmm. not repairable. You then have so, to get rid of it and... Yeah, you have to get rid of it. And it's also not very recyclable because now the parts are all glued together. And the way we recycle today is we'll pull out some of the key things like batteries, but we typically will put it through a big shredder. And now you're not able to separate those metals very easily. And and a a cleaner feed of recycled materials is more valuable. It has more use and can be put into a better recycling system. Mm -hmm. So what the the lowest price at the front end has done is incented this behavior in manufacturers to build uh, less repairable devices. But if you're not looking at the total cost or best value, so let's say you you have a a fleet of a thousand laptops and 10 fail, if they're not repairable, now you have to buy 10 new laptops. And if you're not measuring that cost, 
you're actually not getting best value by going with the lowest price in the front end. And this is where that transition to as a service as part of the circular economy is a much more critical thing. And we're fighting a bit of an uphill battle in the finance area of things because that's going from a capital expense to an operational expense. Mm-hmm. But it is a critical piece of the circular economy and incense all kinds of better behavior uh, from manufacturers. It's more convenient. And you know when it's working well, I'll give you an example. We have uh, a consumer version of a, a circular economy uh, offering called Instant Ink. Mm-hmm. And this is fixing a very broken business model of selling a, a, a printer at a, a loss and then charging a higher price on the supplies that go into it. Um, a razor razor blade model, mm-hmm. broken broken business model. But how do you get out of that? Well, Instant Ink is a subscription service for home printing, and we now have some for, for small business printing too, where the printer automatically orders the ink when it's running out. The customer pays a low monthly fee based on how much they want to print, not on how much ink mm-hmm. they're using. Um, they get a recycling bag in the box, mm-hmm. and customers love it because it's convenient it's lower price Mm -hmm. business loves it because it's a steady annuity stream they're paying this Mm -hmm. monthly fee which is flexible they can go up or down depending on whether they want to print more or less um and it has significantly lower um, carbon footprint water energy usage it's it's just a win-win-win so when you can find a business solution that you know makes the customer happy is good for the business and good for the planet that's that's really the the sweet spot so you're talking about um, looking at things in a bit different way. So going back to the original point that you talked about people, mm-hmm. clearly you're going to need to attract a diverse group of people in, of thinking into your, into your business. And uh, if you're supported by a corporate culture that allows for this sort of uh, thinking, then that's where you, you know, you can head into innovation that will help in the sustainability agenda. Do you think that that a lot of companies perhaps uh, are trying to fit a round peg in a square hole, or is it the other way around? Do you know what I mean? They're trying to find a solution in a different way without addressing a, a way to solve a problem. So you've hit on a really important thing and uh, the goals we announced, uh, I think it's just this month. Um, we have set a goal to have 50% of women in management positions by 2030. And you'd think, well, kind of that's a no-brainer, right? But in the tech industry, the very historically male-dominated industry and some other diversity and equity uh, targets as well, because we recognize that, that that diversity of opinion around the table is so critical for innovation. And you, it, you, we're not going to get to where we need to be with the same types of thinking. We need to really think in a completely different way to, to tackle the issues that we we've not been tackling to date and so um can you give some advice to uh supply chain leaders who are very busy hopefully coming out of this covid pandemic uh but licking their wounds uh from the fact that they have been dealing with crisis uh and perhaps maybe shelved their sustainability agendas how do you get that back on track Well, I think the first thing is to just start doing something. You know, we often let perfection be the enemy of the good, right? You know, we just think, oh, we have to have this perfect policy and it has to be signed off by everybody. And yes, you do need some air cover as a procurement person. Um, But meanwhile, 
billions of dollars are going out of the door with no sustainability criteria in them at all, right? So, so just get started. And it's pretty simple. Ask all of your vendors to tell you what their uh, carbon emissions are and what targets they've set to reduce them and are they aligned with the science-based target or Paris target initiatives? That would be something you could do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. right? um, you don't even need to necessarily score it, but you're sending a signal into the marketplace that, huh, I'm now going to be held accountable for measuring carbon. I need you to be coming with me and giving me your carbon, right? It's, it, it's a trickle-down effect, right? So, so just get started. I think there's some, some education needed. And yeah. I think what we find is a lot of organizations write a beautiful policy, but then fail to give any resources to actually get it done. Yeah. And that is almost worse <laughs> than not doing anything at all because you've created an expectation and now you're not putting the, the resources that are commensurate with it. And I know that it's hard to argue for, for resources, but given the pressure from all stakeholders today, I don't think you can say no. And so whether it's getting some external consultants in to help you or hiring an agency to do this work for you, um, mm -hmm. it can't, you can do that. It's not as cheap as doing it yourself, but you know, um, I think there's a balance of risk here and, and doing nothing is not an option. So just getting started, uh, small baby steps, uh, giving your team some training, um, getting some goals and some plans and some action is, is you know, it's a plan you plan do check act cycle it's not not anything different than you normally use from a management perspective but uh, it's really the onus is really to get started today well on that note you've given us great uh, much much to think about really and, and, and great advice uh, here francis w w let me just ask you one last question where where do you see the future for companies in with regards to supply chain transparency and sustainability is it going to be something that they just must do? I absolutely see it as something they must do. If you look at what Larry Fink said, um, you know, this is, this is, this is kind of, we've been ignoring this. It's been, you know, brushed under the carpet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of it being a gradual thing, I think we're going to see a tsunami of demand for transparency and the transparency leads to, oh my God, that's really bad. We need to take action. So it's coming thick and fast. There, there's no Don't denying. get caught out. Don't get yeah, caught out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as I said, it behoves you to start today, not tomorrow yeah. or the day after. Um, and, and put your best people on it because it will come and bite you if it doesn't, if you don't. Great, great advice. Thank you, Francis. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Really, what you guys are doing is fantastic. And I look forward to seeing a lot more, actually. Uh, no doubt you're uh, you're going to be making a great deal of change within the business. So thanks so much. I appreciate it. For those welcome. of you watching at home, thank you for watching. We'll see you again. Bye.